It appears that after seven months of lockdown in the COVID pandemic, young Canadians are starting to feel the wear and tear, according to the latest Abacus data survey. It's turned their lives upside down, altered their plans for the future. Before the pandemic, the mental health of young people was on the decline. More than six in ten are currently worried about finances with the loss of work or hours. Our unpublished.vote question asked, have the federal and provincial governments done enough for young Canadians dealing with mental health issues from this pandemic? Our viewers said 72.2% said no, 19.4% said yes, and 8.3% were unsure. However you're watching and listening to our show, whether through our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, or our podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more, I'd like to remind you, you can still cast your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote and then email your MP to tell them why. While young people are fairly resilient, the impact on the generation could be enormous. And joining us to discuss this crucial health issue, Oksana Kishchuk is a consultant with Abacus Data. Dr. Joanna Henderson is with the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, the director of the Margaret and Wallace McCain Center as well and the Youth Wellness Hubs of Ontario. Paul Kershaw is with the School of Population and Public Health at the University of British Columbia, as well as the founder of Generation Squeeze. And Lisa Wolf is the Director of Policy and Research at UNICEF Canada. And I thank uh, all four of you for joining us. And Oksana, we'll start with uh, with the study. You basically said in, in uh, looking at the results that it's shifted the very framework of their lives. How do you see this changing the direction they're going? Yeah, so we uh, conducted a study with 1,000 young Canadians aged 15 to 30 back in September and looked at a variety of issues of, of how the pandemic has impacted their lives, everything from finances to mental health to impacts on schooling. And what we found was um, sort of the foundational pieces that youth identify with about what they're going to do in their career, what they're going to do with their school, uh, what they're going to do with kind of their, their future optimism and what they think for their futures has kind of um, been been altered and, and shifted with the different changes that have happened. People have had impacts to how they're going to school, whether they're going to school, um, have had impacts to their jobs, um, to their hours, to their finances, to their family's finances as well, so they depend on those. Um, and, and all of these pieces combined have really sort of shifted um, mental health, physical health, and, and in turn kind of shifted how people see their future going. Paul, uh, you feel the tax system needs to be changed to, to keep young people from falling behind. Uh, how, how so? Did you ask about the tax system specifically? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I wasn't expecting that question off the get-go. Um, I think generally in Canada, as we are like adapting in the pandemic and then building back better, we need to think about how we... Uh, reduce taxes on things we want more of, like better earnings for young people and lower income workers, middle income workers, etc. And then think about how we, you know, use the tax system to discourage things we want less of, whether that's pollution or really unhealthy home values. And then you bring that into the context of the pandemic. And we, we just have to see that the insecurity that the physical distancing imposed by the pandemic has really uh, exacerbated some challenges already facing younger people. It was already difficult to stretch longer times in post-secondary where you had more student debt, you were then taking jobs that actually were paying as much as they did in previous decades, and then facing rent or higher home prices, which had just been going up and up and up in recent years. And then suddenly we're losing our jobs. And then you're like, what are we going to do with the serve? Is the serve enough to like cap, uh, you know, cover these high costs of rent in our bigger cities where many of our young people live? And 
And that has just been the context in which the social determinants of health and the social determinants of our mental well-being have eroded dramatically. And, and I guess whether we want to go into the taxation issue right away or just take a step back for a bit and just talk about how for a younger demographic, the pandemic has imposed fighting the spread of the virus by imposing things that undermine the things that actually make us healthy and well, whether it's our education, our housing, our income, et cetera. And a younger demographic is really experiencing that tension in, in a difficult way that we need our governments to respond to more urgently than they currently are. Yeah, yeah. So you don't think that they've really done enough yet then? Well, I think that it's, I think on the one hand, what we're seeing is a historic level of public investment and intervention that I haven't seen in my professional life and maybe hasn't existed in Canada since the Second World War. So you got to give governments of all stripes right now a lot of credit for adapting on short notice. Um, but we're at a moment now where as we're thinking about building back better, and we've encouraged a massive deficit in the process, you know, I wonder like, well, why can't we quite find the dollars to like, let's make this child care system a reality right now. Let's address some of the real problems with student debt. I mean, we were just in massive areas of deficit. Some of these other changes might be a bit of a rounding error. And yet, why are we saying to a younger demographic, that's not in reach when many other things are? Uh, Joanna, the uh, Center for Addiction and Mental Health looked at this as well, and, and you and your organization are con concerned about young people in particular harming themselves, suicidal ideation, substance abuse. How much has it increased since the pandemic? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, we know from data that we just released from the Ontario Student Drug Use and Health Survey that's been going on for 40 years, every other year, really able to monitor a representative sample of students over time that pre-pandemic, we already had young people experiencing really high levels of distress, increasing rates of suicidality, and, and a really significant difficulty with um, understanding and knowing where services could be found that could be helpful. With the start of the pandemic, we had an opportunity um, to connect with young people. We had been following six, about 600, more, just more than 600 young people, about half of whom previously had identified as having uh, substance use or mental health concerns and were part of research related to their help-seeking behavior, and another half who hadn't um, been identified as having those concerns. And across both, we saw significant deterioration in um, mental health uh, from their from their own perspectives. And interestingly, the the um, the the decrease uh, in uh, or the perceived deterioration was more significant amongst the young people who hadn't previously had mental health concerns. So what that means for us as a system is we have a whole new group of young people who are experiencing mental health difficulties that they haven't had before. Now, Lisa, uh, we're looking at uh, young people right now and young Canadians, and, and you still feel we haven't seen the full impact of, of this pandemic on young people, do you? You know, it's going to be years before we really understand the full impacts. You know, as, um, as others have said, it's uh, a generation right from the youngest, you know, stage of childhood when play is disrupted. Uh, very young children aren't getting the socialization with other children because daycares were locked down for months and three months, you know, in, in a one-year-old's life is a long time. And, you know, kids measure time differently than adults as well, right? So it's a, it's a long time it's disrupting every aspect of life. And they're the generation that's going to carry the impacts the longest. Um, and, you know, it's the impacts are not the same for all young people. Um, there are, for some young people, 
at least some minor, maybe fleeting benefits that they were experiencing early on. Some of them, one third of young people told us in our U Report uh, platform that they were uh, relieved not to have the intensive school pressure that they normally do and exposure to bullying. Um, that was lighter for them. Um, some were experiencing um, more quality time at home. Um, but for those with already difficult lives, things have just gotten so much more difficult as well. And, and, and when you're talking about difficult lives, are, are we talking lower income? Or are we talking racialized community? What are we talking about here? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, it's certainly a truism that um, Canadians are recognizing that the pandemic is stretching the inequalities we already had wider. So certainly young people, you know, who were in racialized communities, um, Indigenous young people, um, LGBTQ people with diverse gender identities, um, children in care, you know, who um, have been really disrupted, their placements disrupted, sometimes having to leave their care environments, um, a higher risk of homelessness for young people. So uh, the burdens are falling more heavily on the young people that were already struggling. And Oksana, that's what you found is not not only the young Canadians, obviously, you see the pandemic, but they don't see it as the cause of all these problems. They were underlying before, right? Yeah, yeah. So one of the questions that we asked was, whether or not people see a relationship between inequalities that already existed in our society and inequalities that we've sort of discovered or have been exacerbated due to the pandemic. And what we found was that I think young people are pretty intuitive and in that half of them said that the situation has only exposed inequalities that already exist. So things like Paul was talking about housing for young people, already a problem, but becoming more of a problem. Access to mental health services, already a problem, but now more of a problem. Uh, people in care, accessing services to stay connected to their families, all those things, again, like more of an issue. And so I think that um, it, it, we need to make sure that like young Canadians are very perceptive of, of what's been happening and, and know that these things, especially young people who have been impacted more, who are lower income, who are racialized, these have been problems that they've been facing for a long time. And they're just kind of coming to the forefront for others to sort of see. And so I think when when looking at what governments are doing, I think young Canadians are really looking to, to sort of be recognized and say, here's a chance to sort of see all of these things that we've been struggling with for a long time. They've gotten a lot worse. And here's an opportunity to do something about it. And so I think that's what they're really going to be watching for. Now, uh, Paul, when, when you listen to something like that, I, I wonder if, you know, young people are going to be sort of obviously leading down the line. Um, when you look at this, the, the, the situation that, uh, that Oksana was talking about here, you know, they, they're, it's not just, you know, in front of your face, it's they're looking long term here. And these are going to be the next leaders in the next little while. But boy, <laughs> what, they're, what they're looking at that's getting them there, lack of housing, lack of jobs and everything, that's going to be a really difficult, uh, a difficult uh, mile to slog. Well, that already was difficult prior to the pandemic kicking in. And I think what, to some degree, there might be a bit of a silver lining from the pandemic because it invites questions about the urgency and the scale with which our society and our decision makers will adapt in response to big problems facing people. And clearly the pandemic has imposed a massive problem in our country and globally that has invited our decision makers and our citizens to lean into adapting things that we wouldn't have eight months ago dreamed we'd be willing to adapt. 
Uh, and so I think there's a bit of a silver lining there because, well, the pandemic is indeed a crisis. We have other big challenges going on. I mean, we were talking about addictions a moment ago. I'm talking to you from British Columbia. In British Columbia, we have fewer than 400 people who have passed away as a result of COVID. All of those are tragic. Uh, but we've had, you know, uh, every year over 1,500 people or so passing away from our opioid epidemic. The average age of people passing away from COVID is in their 80s. Um, for the opioids, it's a young person's issue much more. And so might we find a similar level of urgency now to address that major cause of death for a younger demographic as we're marshalling to address for COVID? So far, I haven't seen it, but it creates an opportunity for us to ask ourselves as citizens, to our decision makers, as, as family members around the Thanksgiving or other holiday tables that we're going to, like, are we willing to adapt to issues facing a younger demographic with the same urgency that we are right now to COVID? Because we could apply that to climate change, we could apply that to the housing challenges, we could apply that to childcare, we could apply that to the opioid epidemic. Mm. And we did that, do that, we would actually solve some major challenges that have long been facing younger Canadians. You know, and you talk about urgency and the you know, long-term care here in, in a lot of the country, that's, you know, it's really become really urgent. People, you know, and that's, Oksana mentioned, that's one of the issues that young people are noticing that they want to see that changed. Yeah, yeah, they're looking for health care. Uh, sorry, one of the, the policy areas and spaces that they're looking for is for health care uh, changes, including mental health. Um, and uh, young Canadians are also sort of seeing that angle of we need to address people most in need. So for long-term care homes right now, it, it is those elderly people. But um, kind of taking this further in long-term, they're also keen, again, to, to make sure we're focusing on those people that were, were kind of suffering before or, or right. in a poorer situation before. Now, I've got a, a question coming in, Joanna. Uh, this is from Stacy on Facebook Live. How has the mental health of young children been affected by the pandemic? I think young children, so it's not my area of expertise, but definitely in looking at the data that are available, uh, we have seen that they've experienced disruptions as well. And of course, very importantly, parents um, play a critical role in shaping, uh, especially right now, shaping the experiences and environments of young children. And we know that adults in that age range, sort of your 18 to 40 age range, are experiencing high levels of anxiety and depression. Um, and that if you have kids, you are more likely, uh, the people who have children are more likely to report significant difficulties as well as substance use, as we were mentioning before. So people who have, you know, people who are parenting who have young children are struggling. And when parents struggle, families struggle. Lisa, you feel a, a national uh Child and Youth Commissioner would be a quick win for young people in Canada. What would the commissioner do and how would it help? Well, I think picking up on what Paul was saying, you know, how do we, how do governments listen to different generations and their interests? We have uh, one in five Canadians who don't vote, who don't have expensive lobbies in government, and frankly, who don't get the investment that other generations do. Canada spends 30% less on children and youth in terms of childcare, income benefits for families, and parental leave than countries who outperform us in the rich world in children's health, mental and physical health, um, as well as other aspects of life. So a children's commissioner is um, a mechanism that can you know, listen to young people whose responsibility it would be to surface 
their priorities uh, in government and make sure that parliamentarians are aware and that every vote is a vote for children. Did we not Can have... I just build off? Sure. Sorry. Go no, go I was ahead, just going to add to that. One of the, I think, things that was unique about the work we've been doing is we actually partnered with youth with lived experience with, of mental health and substance use concerns in doing our research, both in the design of the study, um, so that it led us to ask a broader range of questions that we might have otherwise asked. So things like, you know, what have been the positive impacts? What what strategies are you using to cope? Um, but we also use, uh, we also work with them together to interpret the data and to um, use the data to make findings that are relevant to young people. And I think the pandemic has really shown us how we miss the mark by not including young people at our decision-making tables. And we see that kind of retreat to like, oh, the senior sort of, um, you know, senior uh, leadership who have all the experience will offer the best sort of wisdom around managing a pandemic. And in fact, when we've reached out and we've engaged young people in some of our decision-making They've had fabulous ideas about the directions we need to go and how we can better meet the needs of young people. So that idea of like really engaging young people in a meaningful way at some of those decision making tables through a commissioner or through other um, other models, I think, will be critical going forward. Uh, Oksana, let, let's talk a bit about education. Uh, are young Canadians look to change change their plans for school and career because the pandemic? Yeah, so that was one of the uh, other areas that we asked about, too, and that how has it impacted your schooling so far and what will it do for the future? And what we found was about uh, 50% are, are rethinking what they're going to do for education in the future, which I think is a large, large number. That's one in two yeah. um, looking at, at what they want to do. So I think that's really showing um, pe- young Canadians are looking at the different industries that have been impacted, the different industries that have been thriving, maybe. Um, during the pandemic um, are looking at their finances as well. Can they go to school right now? Do they have to uh, find a job if they can find a job and wait and hold off and go to school later? Um, I think it kind of, in many ways, sort of shifts that aspect of of what they think they're going to do. Uh, Paul, when we talk about housing and and the need for housing, you you find it's the the epicenter of inequity. How how, How is it that way? Oh, well, long before the pandemic, what we had was housing being a tipping point. So rising home prices aren't uniformly bad or uniformly good. It all depends on when you got into the housing market. And if you were in the housing market and prices rise, that allows you to accumulate wealth. But if you were outside the housing market looking in, that creates unaffordability for you. And so this is this tension between rising home prices, good or bad, depending on who you are, has played out along generational lines. And, and for too many years in Canada, especially it's especially in British Columbia, but it's now in, in other parts of the country as well, Ontario for sure, and other bigger cities, we've just tolerated home prices leaving behind the earnings that locals need. And uh, so this is disproportionately hurting younger people in Canada who go to school longer to land jobs that pay less and then face these really high home values which have made their parents and grandparents better off in many cases, mm-hmm. but actually just meant they pay higher rent. So this has been a huge intergenerational tension. And I think that it's at a, a moment where I would go back to Lisa's observation, but we need a commissioner for children and youth. And I would say, and let's wrap around that a minister for intergenerational solidarity, because um, you know, Lisa rightly um, acknowledged that Canada is actually a pretty poor track record of investing in younger people, the generations raising young kids or those kids and youth themselves by comparison with other industrialized countries. Uh, But while we've been slower there, we've actually been relatively fast at growing spending later in our life course stage. 
And that's a good thing. I don't know any young person who doesn't want to invest in their parents and grandparents. We need to get that part right. But as we do, we need to get it right for their kids and grandchildren. And that would mean to some degree having a harder conversation about do we keep wanting to have home prices rise? Might people who had some windfalls in our bigger cities in recent years or decades be willing to contribute a bit of that windfall uh, to help pay for the pandemic and make sure we don't leave as large a deficit into the future? And more generally, just how do we have a conversation about adapting with urgency for young and old alike. So Canada works for all generations because this pandemic is a very interesting moment of intergenerational solidarity and tension. The disease plays out in, in it creates risks in fundamentally different ways. If you're older, the, the virus is quite risky. If you're younger, there actually hasn't been a death under the age of 30. There's almost, there's very few hospitalizations for that demographic. But then we're eroding for that, those, those younger people going to school, having a chance to access the job and the kind of career trajectory that uh, like Oksana was talking about. So the, the pandemic is creating these tensions. And I think what's beautiful, and then I'll shut up, is that you know, younger and older people are leaning in. And so we have this moment of like, we're gonna lean in right now and we're gonna make sacrifices, all of us, to try and protect the community in general. And in particular, protect, we know those who are most vulnerable to the disease itself who are older. And I hope that we can harness that moment of intergenerational solidarity and kind of reciprocate it post-pandemic to start leaning into some of the challenges that have long existed for a younger demographic. Joanna, yeah, I'd like just sorry. sure go ahead. All right, I just wanted to add, you know, on the theme of young people sort of teaching us uh, about resilience and how to take care of each other. Um, you know, when we polled you reporters uh, and asked them if they'd be willing to take the vaccine, get vaccinated, uh, I guess we polled them about a month ago. Uh, and eight out of 10 young people said, yes, they would take the vaccine. Uh, and I remember at the time there was a poll of more general population. Mm. And I, I believe it was seven out of 10 Canadians yep. uh, said they would. So young people are willing to take care of older Canadians, even if they're not getting infected, they're willing to do their part. Uh, Joanna, have there been positive impacts on young Canadians in this pandemic? I'm so glad you asked that. Um, and, you know, we discussed a little bit before, but, you know, I think one of the things I've heard from the youth that we work with is why did it take a pandemic to get more compassion into our systems? And I think, um, you know, people, young people, but other, you know, obviously other people as well, but young people in particular have noticed how there have been shifts in things like if we look at the education system, for example, you know, now teachers are asking their students to be flexible when they're late for class because they're trying to figure out the technology or or they've lost their assignments because they didn't quite understand. Um, and, there, and, and that flexibility wasn't there in the system uh, for many young people in terms of uh, young people experiencing mental health difficulties. We've heard from young people with neurodevelopmental disorders who have said, you know, I haven't been able to uh, go to a concert before. And now so many concerts are online. And I, I remember I remember this one young person saying to us um, as part of a webinar we were doing, uh, saying to the, to the audience, you know, everyone used to think there was something wrong with me because I was afraid to leave the house because I felt like there was danger lots of different places. And now more people have that sense and maybe they won't think I'm as crazy as they mm. previously did. So some really interesting kinds of themes that have, uh, have emerged in, in talking with young people. And some of those positive things you talk about, is that them growing out of their, their issue or their mental illness or is, you know, they're, they're seeing the other side? 
I think in some cases it is related to sort of the mental health concerns in particular. Of course, that's kind of the area of my focus. So I'm a bit biased in that way. Um, but I think some of the, um, some of the pieces have positive in, like, definitely we heard from young people who didn't have mental health concerns. The same as we were talking about before, the reduction in uh, the recognition of, um, the challenges of dealing with school and extracurricular and a part-time job and everything all at once. And, the reflection that, wow, I didn't know how stressed I was um, until I actually had this period of time where all, all I could do was stay at home. And although that is associated, of course, with lots of uh, negative things for many young people, there are some young people for whom they sort of have a new sense of what they want their lives to be like going forward, which are a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more restful, a little bit more simplistic, a little less um, engagement in a lot of that high pressure activity. It's like we're all dialing it back now, just going basic, make it simple. <laughs> Uh, Lisa, uh, one thing that you had mentioned, uh, other than um, the National Child and Youth Commissioner, was a youth guarantee. Now, I understand this is in in, in Europe. How would uh, how does that roll out for for young people there, and could it apply here? So, you know, the the young people were worried about. Uh, are the young people transitioning to adulthood and, you know, because the health pandemic has brought an ec uh, economic crisis as well as a health crisis, you know, we have a, a higher risk, just as we saw in the, in the Great Depression, uh, sorry, re Great Recession, of young people disconnecting, you know, in late adolescence, not being in school or uh, uh, training or work. And um, that rate you know, ballooned after the um, Great Recession. So we have a generation who, for some of them, experienced a recession and now a pandemic. Um, we were just recovering that rate of youth engagement where we had um, cut that rate in half just before the pandemic came. So, you know, most kids were in school or training or something positive in those years just before adulthood. Um, now, you know, it, it, it's really concerning. There's um, a, a cohort of young people that we don't know where they are. They never came back to school. They may be digital learning. We're not sure. Um, it's tough to get employment to pay for post-secondary, which was the refuge during the Great Recession when you couldn't find work as a young person, you'd go to post-secondary. Um, so yeah, the youth guarantee in Europe is a guaranteed place in education, training, or employment for every uh, everyone under the age of 24 who needs who needs a spot somewhere. Oh, that's excellent. bold. That's bold. You know, yes. when you hear people talking about bold policies. Uh, Paul, you know, this is a generation that's going to be most the most impacted by the by the pandemic. The government's been throwing billions of dollars around and we all know somebody's got to pay for it. And it's going to be these young people that are going to be on the hook for most of it. What kind of an impact is that when your whole generation is saying we, we've got to pay out billions before we can do anything? Well, I often use the metaphor of a vice grip. So the younger demographic is squeezed by lower earnings, higher costs, and less time. That's sort of the private squeeze. And then it becomes a bit of a public squeeze. It tightens that vice grip still further uh, because there's the enormous amount of government debt that's being accumulated right now during uh, the pandemic response. And then that's exacerbated by the environmental debt and just the risks of climate change that really do require us to adapt our economy in rapid fashion in order to fend off the worst that climate change will otherwise throw at us. So that's just asking a younger demographic to be 
needing to adapt and ready to be flexible in enormous ways. And I think we actually have a resilient group of people who are often willing to step up, but it can be a, a significant um, psychological burden and just about how many challenges there are before us. And, and in the middle of a context where I think the pandemic is restoring faith to some degree in our governments for being able to adapt to big things facing the entire communities, but I'm not entirely sure it's restored enough faith. And so uh, I wonder about the degree to which this younger demographic is going to be saddled with significant deficits environmentally and uh, in a financial way, but not necessarily looking to our collective space to help uh, address those problems. And I think we're going to have to have a serious conversation about how do we ask those of us right now uh, to contribute to trying to make sure we don't leave large, large government bills for our kids and grandchildren mm -hmm. down the road? It's going to be, a, we need a new conversation about taxation. You started there early on with me. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll be willing to end there. We need a serious conversation about how we're going to pay for the pandemic response. Well, and before the pandemic, or maybe it was just when the pandemic started, uh, the conference board, or there's a little rumor the conference board was looking at, you know, taxing value of the home. And is that where you're coming from there? I just think more generally, you know, we need a conversation about income and wealth in society that is going to ask those, myself included, with more means to potentially contribute more. Like in this past year, my home went up by $300,000 while I was sleeping, watching TV and cooking. That's much more than I make as a hardworking professor. That's more than the average value of a home in Atlantic Canada mm -hmm. in, say, Fredericton. Um, and so, you know, that does help me be more financially prosperous. I think that there's ways we could tap into that uh, to ask people like me to contribute a bit more. Um, but more generally, it's just a question of we can't only talk about investing more without having a real conversation about how we pay for it. And it has been, I think, culturally acceptable to offer more investments and tax cuts. And I think we're at a moment right now where we need to talk about paying fairly for the things that we value. And um, and that's going to be important for the standpoint of our kids and grandchildren so that we don't leave these large debts and deficits into the future. Folks, uh, a great discussion, a very, very important issue. Young people in Canada dealing with, uh, well, the mental health impacts from COVID-19. Uh, COVID and I want to thank you all for joining us. Uh, our published TV guests, Oksana Kishchuk. Kishchuk is a consultant at Abacus Data. Dr. Joanna Henderson is with the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, the director of the Margaret and Wallace McCain Center for Child, Youth, and Family Mental Health, and the executive director of Youth Wellness Hubs, Ontario. Paul, Paul Kershaw is with the School of Population and Public Health at UBC, the founder of Generation Squeeze, and Lisa Wolfs, the director of policy and research at UNICEF Canada. Coming up next week on Unpublished TV, why does the Ontario government come up with failing grades from the Auditor General? Hope you can join us. Thanks for watching Unpublished TV. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.